Um, and I'm say, how many days are you in, um, in Dublin for a run? Uh, well, today's my last full day. Okay. Tomorrow I move on. I'm going to Tullamore tomorrow, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tullamore. So. I, I don't know if you've seen. It's the, the Bartender Park. Journey Podcast on tour. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'm talking to you from now from Dublin, Ireland. Great city. I was in, uh, I think I spoke to you last from Florence. I went to Rome, which is just, the history there is incredible. It's just amazing. Went to a... Uh, cool cocktail bar there called jerry thomas cocktail club i think it's called and that was excellent it was uh like a speakeasy place you had to, you were supposed to have a password i didn't know the password they were like do you know the password i said i'm a bartender from new york does that count and like please come in <laughs> but that was uh really the the bartenders there were just so professional and uh but fun at the same time and the bar was just gorgeous uh anyway dublin ireland i love Irish pubs. I love the Irish music. I love the Irish people are so much fun and friendly. And uh, I've been to a lot of uh, interesting places. Went to the Guinness Storehouse, which is where Guinness, um, it's not made there anymore, but it was originally on this site. And they they made this big uh, giant visitor center and uh, really interesting that the top floor is just this 360 degree view of all of Dublin and uh, I got certified in how to pour a Guinness so uh, I, w- I was doing it right but now I'm certified so uh, I don't know how much you know about about that but there's a very specific way to pour a Guinness it's uh, you put the glass in uh, under the tap at a 45 degree angle and then fill it up about three quarters of the way and then you have to let it sit for uh, about 90 seconds while while it settles all the bubble, bubbles come to the top and form a nice head and then you pour uh, well with the first pour you pull the handle all the way back towards yourself and the, the, so fill it up three quarters of the way there let it rest for about 90 seconds and then you put it back under the tap and push the tap away from yourself and uh, that what that does is it's um, there's less gas um, released in, in, in the second pour so it just kind of pushes the head up to the top and uh, that's the perfect pint so anyway today I was at uh, Teeling Irish whiskey distillery and had a great tour from Chris Hayes. Yeah, so I suppose um, the first thing about Teeling Whiskey is that we're an incredibly innovative and, and forward-thinking brand of Irish whiskey. Like, we only started off as a brand in 2012. Right. Um, the distillery itself now obviously finished three years later, so 2015. Um, so you can see, if you have a look around you, it's absolutely brand spanking new. Um, but in terms of our branding, so in terms of how we actually see ourselves, our ethos, um, also kind of how we see ourselves going forward is very much uh, steeped in tradition. Um, now, obviously, what I mean by that, if you have a look around, you can see we've got a lot of the old memorabilia, be it from the bottles or the old leases um, from some of the, um, the original distilleries. Um, when I say we, we kind of cater towards tradition, what I mean by that is that we're keeping elements of the 19th century in particular. So, um, as I'm sure you know, 19th century was when Irish whiskey, obviously, is at its height. Um, Irish whiskey, 60% global spirits to sell, so happy days for ourselves. Um, you know, that's not, that's not only including whiskey, that's including vodka, gin, tequila, rum, cognac, brandy, you name it, 60% wow. is all Irish whiskey. Um, so, it was known as the golden era for Irish whiskey. Now, on top of that, in particular, very much important what we're doing here is um, Dublin whiskey was actually seen as the best premium whiskey in the world 
at the time. So you can see obviously some of these bottles here um, marked with Dublin whiskey. You'll notice a lot of Irish whiskey. Today we'll have Irish whiskey written on the actual bottle. You look, going back as far as the 18th or 19th century, Dublin whiskey was actually a sign of excellence. So you can even see one of the most interesting ones here is the one from, uh, from Tullamore Jew. Now they're obviously based up in Offaly, um, based in Tullamore, but the, on the actual bottle there itself you can see it says Dublin whiskey, which I think is, is, is very interesting. Um, but obviously, yeah, so Dublin was one of your main, um, one of your main areas for Irish whiskey production. Um, so actually back in the day, in the 19th century, there was 37 fully functional distilleries in Dublin. Wow. Uh, I can give you a current figure nowadays, I can do it on one hand, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's two. It's ourselves, which was the first distillery back in Dublin. Obviously, very, very big deal. First distillery in 125 years. Teeling Whiskey set up, um, obviously, in 2012. Last distillery in Dublin was in the 70s, so it was Powers, um, shut down in 1976. Um, you can actually go up and see still the old Powers Quarter. So um, the, co the Art College, National College of Art and Design, okay. is where it used to be. You can still see some of the, the, the Powers, uh, the, the P, um, up around the college. But they were the last fully functional distillery in Dublin. Um, and closed when again? In 1976. Yeah, so I suppose that's one of the main main um, aspects of Teeling Whiskey, that we are the first new Dublin distillery in a very long time. So we're very much part of a new chapter, yeah. you know, starting off the renaissance of Irish whiskey. Um, so yeah, back in the 19th century, it was 37 distilleries in all around Dublin. Um, Plus the gigantic uh, Guinness factory right here. Of course, yeah, let's not forget the breweries and the maturation houses and the fermentation plants and uh, everything that comes with production. Um, so Cooperages. Yeah, Coopers as well. So yeah, I'm sure Dublin City... You know, must have been something else in the, in the 18th, 19th century. Um, but in particular, in this area that we're in at the moment, it's called the Liberties. Um, so this area is where a lot of uh, the distilleries actually were based. 32 of those 37 distilleries were here. Um, so you mentioned Guinness. That's actually encompassed in the Liberties. Um, same with the likes of some of your main cathedrals, like St. Patrick's Cathedral, Christ Church. Um, you've got, obviously, um, big families like the Rowe family, the Jemison family, the Powers family. We're all based in this area. Um, so they, just to name you those three, they were often what's referred as the titans of the Irish whiskey industry, you know, some of the biggest in the world at the time. Um, and also they were some of the most eminent distilleries in Europe that were based in this really small area of Dublin. So it's, I suppose historically it's quite interesting for, for people to look at who aren't usually familiar, familiar with Irish whiskey. Um, so as I said, those distilleries, unfortunately, they shut down, you know, like a lot of good things obviously unfortunately has to come to an end but uh, it, it factors like pro uh, yeah, I know prohibition in, yeah. in the US was a big uh, blow as prohibition, well. Prohibition absolutely 1920s um, also around the same time so 1922 Ireland becomes a republic um, obviously that's going to affect how, how we're exporting whiskey um, on top of that obviously changes in technology so moving from column distillation to pot, or from pot still distillation to, to column distillation um, very much affects how Irish whiskey was sold so that's 60% that I mentioned uh, goes from 60 to about 1% or 2%. Right. So just for anybody who doesn't know, column still, just, uh, Irish whiskey is traditionally made in a pot still, which is more labor-intensive, takes more time, it's more expensive Absolutely. than a, and a yeah, column yeah. still. They can produce more in a shorter amount of time and uh, for less less outlay, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, and I think the main thing about Irish whiskey is in particular 
because obviously we represented 60% of the market, we kind of had this mentality of, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. And that's, that's one of the, I suppose, the major downfalls of, of how the Irish whiskey scene went. Um, the Scots very cleverly combined uh, these two methods of taking their Highland malt, combining it with this new make spirit from the Collium, Collium stills, which could be made as quick as five days. Mm. Um, meanwhile, we were making whiskey that might have taken about 10 months to produce. So obviously, quality-wise, we could have competed with, but from distribution and from production time, it was just on, on another level. Um, so, you know, currently today, we'd be looking at a lot less. We'd be looking at under 10%. And the good thing about brands like Teeling is that, obviously, we're starting up again, getting people talking about Irish whiskey. So, you know, what makes a good Irish whiskey? What makes... Um, you know, I often tell there's no such thing as a bad whiskey. There's only... There's only... Uh, there's only doesn't suit your health. This is it, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it gets people talking about Irish whiskey again, which is great. And in that sense, I think it is very quintessential Irish whiskey that it is quite fruit forward. You know, it has that really soft, balanced finish. Um, what would you, if, if you had a, a consumer come to you at the bar and say, you know, you know, I drink scotch, like, what can you tell me about Irish whiskey? How is it different than Scotch? You know, that's a that's a very basic question, but I, but I've heard it many, no, many no, times. No, absolutely, yeah, and it's a question that you you get a lot. Yeah. I think the main thing to note is um, so in Scotland, obviously, you've got loads of different regional styles. Um, usually, the first thing I ask people if they say that they're into Scotch, I would usually ask them, you know, what kind of Scotch are you into? Are you into like your your soft side, you know, more space side or more lowlands? Are you into more kind of heavy peater stuff like coming from Isla? Uh, and then after that, you can narrow it down a little bit more. Um, whereas I think, you know, in general, a lot of brands that kind of pop up again and again would be the likes of Macallan, obviously it'd be more softer style, more fruit forward, or if not Laphroaig, uh, Laphroaig or Ardbeg would be a little bit more on the smokier side. Um, so once you kind of know flavor-wise what people are looking for, it's easier then to give a comparison. Now, Irish whiskey as a whole, uh, not to not to generalise too much but as a whole it will be quite fruit forward it will be quite soft and light you'll often hear people saying the Irish whiskey is so easy to drink you know so good and so light um, I suppose with ourselves we are taking that um, core and then obviously trying to go outside the perimeters of, of what we can what we can make um, but that's kind of what really would distinguish Irish whiskey in general um, but I would say out of the ones that we're dealing with if you're more into your kind of smokier style heavier richer flavors uh, I'd probably say the Teeling Single Malt mm-hmm. out of our core range if you're more into your kind of um, you know if you're into your rums actually as a whole um, anybody who's big into the rums as they are into whiskey the small batch is a great a great option for that uh, the middle one obviously being matured in red wine being a corn based whiskey I'd say in general if you're really big bourbon heads you know if you if you're like your uh if you're into your, your more sweeter style, um, the single grain is something very different. The fact that it's matured in red wine barrels obviously gives a drier mouthfeel. Um, on the note of the Irish coffee, um, the way that we do it here is we, um, we basically use a stout reduction. So we take a bottle of stout, we mix it with loads of spices, so like star anise, cloves, juniper berries, uh, brown sugar, orange zest, ginger, salt. Just let that sit for about 15 minutes. Um, so you heat it up in a pot, let it sit for about 15 minutes, add in your coffee, your whiskey, your cream as usual. Important thing to note on the cream is we're using pouring cream. So we're not using whipped cream. Yeah. Now consistency-wise, it's going to be like much better. Um, it almost um, like it almost adds to the to the enjoyment of flavor. And in general, cold cream is important. Like keep it in the fridge. 
as opposed to so how are, are they putting in a, in a shaker and shaking yeah, it and there's an easy way to do that like if you're making it, I know it can be a little bit troublesome if you're making it at home and you don't have the same equipment that you would in a bar and that's always daunting be it any sort of cocktail um, what you can do is like use protein shaker use um, any of those old like pasta you know those plastic boxes those containers um, you can use really anything that you have at home just to give it a, a shake up uh, and then coffee and, uh, and the rest are fairly easy to source. Um, so, so somebody at a bar using a, it was just like a plastic one liter soda bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff that I was kind of having fun with recently was uh, was was based on that idea. Um, you know, you can use a soda bottle or you can use a um, like you know a Pringles box and uh, and cut it up and you can have a little bit of fun with that. Like DIY bar bar stuff is always quite fun to do yeah. well the protein shaker is great with that little round ball in it yeah yeah absolutely it works perfectly and it's something that kind of everybody has uh, I suppose for anybody who's not really into the gym and you know yeah. doesn't have a protein shaker co- a co- like a, people are just as addicted to coffee as they are to the gym so you know a coffee um, cup uh, works just as well if you know as a shaker or as a or as a for, for cream um, now the middle whiskey I meant to say the one, as I said, is, is kind of like an amalgamation of an, an American bourbon and an Irish whiskey. But as I said, the fact that it's triple distilled, the fact that it's 46%, the fact that it's finished in, in red wine barrels is, is something that very much classifies it as a teeling whiskey. So for this one here, you'll notice really, really gentle, soft, uh, delicate notes on the nose. Uh, like candy cane, uh, vanilla, maple syrup, honey. You will also get the tannins coming through from the red wine or the, yeah. the forest fruits coming through from the red wine. So if you're into your red wines, uh, this is definitely a, a kind of step over. If you're, if you're not really into whiskey and you're looking for a good entry into Irish whiskey, uh, the Teeling Single Grain is, is a great one. I have a lot of people who go, you know, I'm not really that into whiskey. Is there a whiskey that you can recommend to me from your range? And in general, I'd usually say start off with the flagship whiskey, obviously being a rum-based finish. A lot of people are comfortable with rum. Um, or the, the, the single grain uh, finish in red wine. And obviously the corn base is, is, is what gives it a completely different flavor and mouthfeel. Um, so this one, nice dry mouthfeel. Um, obviously imparted too from the, the red wine barrels. And the finish stops just at your gullet. You know, it doesn't go all the way down at your chest. So again, if you're someone that's like not really into that heavy, long finish, it's it's something that's definitely a little bit more subtle and delicate. All right, this will probably be the last edition of Bartender Journey on tour in Europe. It's been a great trip, almost five weeks, and uh, met so many interesting people. Met, went to the greatest places, and I'm sad to say, I'm I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I'm sad to go home. <laughs> I wish this would go on for another five weeks. But uh, anyway, time to get back to reality, get back to the bar. I'll be, I have to be back behind the bar, um, what, in, uh, about seven, eight days. So, uh, hey, thanks for listening to the Bartender Journey Podcast. We'll talk to you from home next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Cheers. Yeah.